0: And to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to Him many who were oppressed by demons, and He cast out the spirits with a word, and He healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, and He bore our diseases. And then go to chapter 9, and I'll read verses 9 to 13. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for those words. Because if Jesus came to call the righteous, we would all be without hope. And so we come as sinners tonight, acknowledging our deep need and and asking for your help. As we consider the life and words of your Son, you have so graciously given to us. Would you uh, teach us humility to receive what we hear? And would you grant us the work of your Holy Spirit to be changed by it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of, of what we call miracles in these two chapters. There are at least ten uh, significant, extraordinary event, uh, events that Matthew describes. So Jesus, seven times in Matthew 8 and 9, uh, heals someone of a disease, heals them miraculously of a disease. Uh, Two accounts of Jesus releasing people uh, from demon oppression. Uh, One story of Jesus calming a lethal storm that is threatening to kill his disciples. And then, most dramatically, uh, Jesus taking the hand of a dead young girl and raising her from the dead to life. Incredible events. And on top of these specific events, we have summaries in verse 16 of chapter 8 and in verse 35 of chapter 9 that the specific events described here were characteristic of of Jesus' work, of the things that He did, of what He was up to uh, day after day as He was on this earth. And so I want to... Consider miracles tonight. And when we read about the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament and hear about them, I think our minds go to the question of veracity. We go to questions like, did these things really happen? And if they happened, how did they happen? And I want to acknowledge that that is a legitimate question. Uh, There are uh, times and and contexts that are appropriate to deal with those questions. There are great resources out there that would help you deal with those questions, and I'd be happy uh, to point you to those. But having acknowledged that question, I'm now going to ignore it, okay? (laughs) Because I don't think that's the question Matthew wants us to ask as he tells us these stories. And, And tonight I want us to kind of trust Matthew as a storyteller. And I want to let him lead us into the kind of questions that we should ask. And I think Matthew would want us not to ask questions of veracity, but questions of meaning. Not, did these things really happen and how did they happen, but why did they happen? Matthew wants to provoke in us the question that Jesus' disciples ask after Jesus turns off the hurricane in chapter 8, and saves their life, they respond saying, what sort of man is this? What is going on here? Why did this happen? What does it tell us about Jesus? And I think the why question is important because it takes these miracles out of distant history and, and it brings them into our lives we understand the meaning of what Jesus does here in these ten specific events and in the summaries we're given in these chapters, then we can begin to connect what happens in these chapters to what happens in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And I think what will help us understand the meaning of what Jesus does, the meaning of His miracles, is to see that His miracles function in two ways. They do two things. They diagnose a problem And they reveal a solution. Okay? So first of all, Jesus' miracles diagnose a problem. There are a host of issues described in these chapters. Demons, disease, storms, death, all kinds of problems, all sorts of sicknesses that Jesus encounters. But I would propose that all of these issues are linked by one problem. And it's the problem of distance. Notice in the opening story, when the leper comes to Jesus, he doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you heal me of my disease? Right? Verse 2, he says, Jesus, would you make me clean? And the leper requests this because of the Old Testament and particularly the book, the exciting and thrilling book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. So Jesus was, was forming a people in the nation, or God was forming a people in the nation of Israel. And, and as He formed them, as He shaped them, He put something at their center, at the center of their life. And it was a place. It was a place where they could worship Him. It was a place where they could relate uh, to him it was god 's house. this was the tabernacle and later the temple. this was god 's house in their neighborhood. It was the center of god 's presence with them and so God in Leviticus tells, told them that if they wanted to come to his house, they had to get clean. They had to get be clean to be able to come into his house and there were All sorts of complicated rules and instructions that you can look back uh, and look up in the book of Leviticus. But one of the basic ideas of being clean or unclean, being welcomed into God's presence or being excluded from God's presence. One of the basic ideas there is the difference between life and death. So to be in God's presence means to have life as it was meant to be life as God created it, like Adam and Eve had in the garden, living in perfect harmony with God, with each other, and with God's creation. And so to come into God's presence is to be restored to that. To be separated, to be distant from God's presence was to have the opposite. It was death. And so... Anything that was associated with death was considered unclean. It was considered unacceptable, unwelcomed in the temple. Things like degenerative skin diseases, what's here called leprosy. This visible expression of death was not allowed in the presence of God because to be in the presence of God was to have life. And so the leper's essential problem is not just his sickness, it is his distance from God. So he comes to Jesus and he doesn't just say, deal with my disease, he asks him to deal with the distance between he and God. To take that away so that he would once again be welcomed into the presence of God. We see the same issue with the next, very next story of the centurion. This is why the centurion says, Jesus, you're not worthy to come into my house. Because, because he understood Jesus to be a Jewish leader, uh, possibly the Jewish Messiah from his perspective. And he knew that for a Jew to enter a Gentile's house, which he would have been, was to make that Jew unclean was to make that Jewish person distant, unwelcomed in the presence of God. And this is why Jesus responds to His request by talking not so much about healing, but talking about who gets to sit down at the table, right? Who gets to sit down at God's table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in verse 8? So these miracles here are about not just disease or demon oppression or storms or even death. They are about the underlying problem of all of those things, which is distance from God. You could... We could go through each specific example in the chapter and and show this in each of them. The the disciples on a stormy sea headed towards death, moving away from God. But we have to ask why this distance exists. This fundamental problem of being far from God and the life that comes from His presence. Why does it exist? Look at chapter 9. Some verses we didn't read, but another story that's told in these chapters. And Jesus makes a very telling slip of the tongue here. I'll just read the first two verses. It says, in getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus said that, religious leaders freaked out and said, No way, you can heal all you want, Jesus, but you can't deal with that. But Jesus says, No, we've got to put them both together. He says, What's the difference between saying your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? He says they're the same thing. Why? Because sin is what has created the fundamental problem of distance from God. It is sin that exposed our world to all the maladies of disease and demons and death. It's it's the problem that is not only a problem in this young man's life, but it stretches all the way back uh, to Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve in the garden, in perfect harmony with God. And, and how do they lose it? They reject God and replace Him, which is the essence of sin. And what is the result? It's distance. He sends them out of the garden, and to send them out of the garden is to send them away from life. So Jesus' miracles... Expose, they diagnose a fundamental human problem. A fundamental sickness that underlies all other sicknesses. And it is, it is the sickness of sin. This isn't to say that every single sin has a Definite consequence, bad consequence. It's not that this man was paralyzed because of one sin, but it is that we live in a world that sin has broken, that sin has allowed all of these problems to come in. And the question for us as we consider the miracles of Jesus and what they diagnose about us is can you identify with sick people? Have you ever noticed in the Gospels, Jesus offends everyone? Family, His closest friends, disciples, as well as His religious opponents. He offends everyone except sick people. Diseased people, people in deep and desperate need are never offended by Jesus. Why? Why? Well, because they've come to the place in their life where they no longer maintain that pretense that keeps us from asking for help, that keeps us from acknowledging that even though it might not look like on the outside, even though you may not be able to see leprosy on our skin, there is leprosy in our heart that we share in this fundamental human problem of distance from God. A few years ago, I had a skin issue. Uh, I was getting red, this is kind of gross, I'm sorry, but red blotches on my skin. And I did not want to go to the doctor for it. And I waited, and I waited, and it got worse and worse, and Jess was convinced I had skin cancer, and it just got worse and worse and worse, and finally I went. But why did I not want to go? It was embarrassment. It was embarrassment of having something wrong with me. Of, of having to go to our doctor, and of course our doctor was a woman, and, and take off my shirt with my pasty white skin and my red blotches and expose that to someone, right? I finally went, and, 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 and I won't go back because I found out it was a fungus. And that's, embar- that's embarrassing, right? I shower daily. Well, how did this happen? But that danger, that fear often characterizes what keeps us from life and joy in the presence of God. It's one of the main reasons we do not know the joy, the worship, the obedience that we were made for. Because we are afraid of that exposure. Of that shame. Of the embarrassment of saying, I am sick. I have a sickness and a disease that is deeper than any human ability to heal. I cannot heal myself. My culture cannot heal me. My family cannot heal me. Romance cannot heal me. Entertainment cannot heal me. Food and drink cannot heal me. A stable job cannot heal me. Money cannot heal me. I am deeply and impossibly sick. This is what the miracles of Jesus force us to say. They call us to identify with these very sick people. Are you willing to do that? You have the humility to come to Jesus in the posture that these people come to Jesus? Now, why would we do that? Why would we risk that kind of exposure, that kind of shame? that potential embarrassment of saying, I'm sick. Why would we do that? Well, because Jesus' miracles not only diagnose a problem, uh, but they reveal a solution. And of course, the solution is Jesus himself. The message of Jesus's miracles and of Matthew's gospel as a whole is is that the relationship between heaven and earth is like the the magnets that that the grandparents gave my son for christmas if you turn them one way you can't humanly put them together that is the rift that is the distance between heaven and earth between god and us but matthew by telling us about Jesus and what he said and did, shows us that Jesus came to reverse the polarity of those two things and to draw together heaven and earth so that humanity could once again know the life that comes from the presence of God so that those who are far off, those who are distant, could be brought near. This is why Jesus, in healing the centurion's Servant, if you pay attention, that really isn't about healing at all. It's like this little detail at the end. And the servant was completely healed. But Jesus spends the whole time talking about this table, right? And it's the table that all good Jews expected to sit down at. It was the table at the end of time when God comes and judges all the bad people and makes everything right And then everybody gets to sit down at this extravagant dinner party with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the other heroes of the Jewish faith, of the Old Testament. And Jesus says a remarkable thing here, a shocking, offensive thing here. He says, those sitting at that table are not the ones who you would expect. They're not the ones who spent their lives trying to precisely obey the law of God. No, it's it's those like the centurion, who were Gentiles, but who had enough trust and humility to come to Jesus and ask for help. Jesus doesn't just talk about that future meal. He then anticipates that future meal in chapter 9 with a meal of His own. We read about He sits down He calls Matthew and then he sits down with all the sinners and all the tax collectors. And he says, when the the religious leaders get upset, he says, this is the movement of God. He he quotes from Hosea that God, instead of taking the temple, the presence of God, with a a fence around it to, to keep all of these people out, that in the person of Jesus, God's presence is embodied. And He moves towards all of the sinners. And that He moves towards those who know their need of Him. He moves towards those who can own the truth about their sickness. And notice in this chapter how Jesus does this. Because when the leper comes to Him and asks to be clean... Jesus doesn't just say, be clean, right? He reaches out his hand and touches him. And understand the uncleanness of the leper was contagious. So to touch the leper was to be infected, potentially with his disease, but more important from the perspective of the temple and God's presence there, it was to be, It was to join in His distance from God. But Jesus, as the embodied presence of God, crosses the quarantine. He reaches across the quarantine. He, as the presence of God, moves towards the unclean, and instead of being infected by it, He transforms it. He comes into contact with what is unclean, And instead of being infected by it, He changes it to make it clean. He does it again in chapter 9. A woman who has an issue of blood, so she's perpetually unclean, touches Jesus, comes into contact with Him. And because of that, is made clean. And then finally, when Jesus comes into the room where there is a corpse of a young girl laying on the bed, He doesn't just say get up, but He takes and He touches her hand again. To touch a corpse is to be made unclean. He, as the transforming presence of God, comes into contact with what is unclean. He comes into contact with death. And He changes it. He transforms it into life. And all of these actions anticipate... The final expression that Jesus makes of the kingdom of heaven. Because he does not simply touch and risk uncleanness. When he goes to the cross, he takes that uncleanness on himself. He takes that sin that is at the heart of our distance from God on himself, and he suffers its consequences. He takes the problem of death that is created by being separated from the presence of God on Himself, on our behalf. And then God raises Him from the dead, changing what was unclean into clean. Bridging the distance between heaven and earth. Transforming death into life. And that is why we can risk the exposure of our sickness. That is why we can risk the admission that we are deeply broken and flawed by sin. It it is the risk of faith. It is having enough confidence in who Jesus is and what He has done to like these people throughout these two chapters, come to Him and ask for help. It is, it is to see Jesus through His life, His death and resurrection, and know that if we come to Him, even with our disease, we will not be rejected. But wa- rather, we will be welcomed into the life giving presence of God. And we will not only be welcomed, but we will be healed. And of course, that healing doesn't happen all at once. These miracles of Jesus are an anticipation of a future when Jesus will return and make all things new. So as we live and face death and disease and sickness, spiritual struggles and oppression, we wait and we mourn and we hope. Because we see in the miracles of Jesus not only our problem, but the solution. We see resurrection. These are hints of resurrection as Jesus heals these people. We have enough confidence in that to come to Him and to seek His help, to to find His rescuing grace every day of our lives. One of the most common sights here in Tallahassee is a bumper sticker. You've seen it on cars all around. I don't know why Tallahassee has the most I've ever seen, but it's the bumper sticker. It just has one word on it, and it's the word coexist. right? And it cleverly includes all the major symbols of the major world religions in it. And that bumper sticker touches on a problem that our time is very concerned with and it 's the problem of, of the distance between people and the tension that is created in that and it 's a problem that we hear on the news once again this week in places like Mali, like Algeria and it 's a problem we see in our homes and in our friendships is that we are far from one another. And, and there, is, there is tension, even though we may not be physically far. We know that experience of, of being in the same room with someone, but, but being in conflict and, and feeling miles away. And the bumper sticker touches on that problem and, and is concerned to find a way around that. But it fails. Because it doesn't acknowledge that the distance between us is so just a symptom of a deeper distance, the distance between us and God. And it fails because it wants too little. It wants coexistence when we were made for communion. And this is what the miracles of Jesus teach us. That although we are far from God, Christ By His life, His death, His resurrection, His ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church has made possible not only coexistence, but communion between God that leads to communion between one another in our world. Will that be our trust? Will that be our hope? Will that be what sustains us this week? Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending us a healer. Thank You for sending Jesus who exposes our sickness, who tells us the hard truth that we were diseased and that that disease is a result of our sin. The distance that it creates between us and you. But I thank you that in your Son you just did not send confrontation, uh, but you sent comfort as well. Because He gave Himself to bridge that distance, to heal that disease, so that we can admit our sin. And be renewed and redeemed. Would you sustain us with that? Would you teach us what it's like to get up in the morning in that confidence? That you have covered our shame. So that we could live lives in response of obedience to what you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.